Okay, good morning. Mess with the levels again here. Felt like it was a little hot last time. All right, we'll see how that does. Uh, it's gonna be a little noisy in here with the fan this morning because it's uh, pretty much, pretty. it's a pretty hot day is what I'm trying to say. So uh, this is sort of officially the first day of summer after the rainy season. So from today, we're going to have like 9 or 10 days of some heat and some sun just coming out of the rainy season. So it is July. It's a good question. What day is it? I don't know. Something like July 16th. It is. still don't know. It's July 14th. There you go. So one week after, no, never mind. One week after July 7th, which doesn't mean anything. <laughs> All right, anyway, good morning. Welcome to Driving Theology. My name is Mike and I am driving to work. And uh, this is your first time. Uh, thanks for listening in. My uh, format is uh, very loose and uh, I hesitate to say, um, crazy but maybe a little crazy so the concept is uh, I uh, listen sorry you listen to me as I drive to work on Wednesdays and I've got about a 40 minute 35 40 minute commute and uh, I usually um, don't have anything planned and I just see where my uh, thoughts take me stemmed from me realizing just how great many of the conversations I've had in cars have been over the years, especially when taking a road trip with a friend or uh, even someone you're just getting to know. And especially when it's just the two of you or at least the two people in the front seats. Uh, so you guys are with me in the front seat and uh, although it's a one-way conversation, it still kind of has the same uh, kind of um, off-the-cuff, authentic kind of feel that I'm going for so that's why I choose not to plan anything but I do try to get to a generally uh, um, theological point if at all possible um, after all this is driving theology um, yeah and so I'm, I'm into my uh, fifth sixth year sixth year so I started in 2015, the end of 2015. So the end of this year will be, will be six years. So I've done five full years. Oh, there's my friend Horacio. Ohio! Kinky? Kinky. 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 <laughs> that was my friend from Mexico, Horacio. He's a farmer here in the local area. He looks like he's off to his farms. This is his season, man. He's a tomato farmer, mainly. And uh, tomatoes love the sun, man. Well, they love the, the heat and the dry better than the, the wet, for sure. Maybe not the sun so much, but yeah. <clears throat> anyway, uh, yeah. And what I wanted to do was most of the conversations well, I'm not even sure if that's true like 
I feel like so many of the conversations we have with with people are planned and controlled and scripted, right? Uh, because a lot of those happen in churches. So, you know, we always had bring a friend to church day and, and bring someone new to church day and these kinds of things when I was growing up. And, and the concept was bring somebody who doesn't go to our church to our church and we'll try to convince them to start coming to our church kind of thing. And that's actually what it was. What it sounded like was bring somebody who's not a Christian to our church because only the people inside of our church are Christians. Uh, yeah, you may laugh, but that's kind of what a lot of people thought. Uh, and and so the preacher, or the you know the the, the preaching of, the, of that day, or the class, or the you know whatever was planned, would bring people into the church. But what I found is that most most people that that I have um, met who dare I say because of our meeting. Um, or at least stemming from the fact that I talked to them about Jesus, most of those conversations were usually kind of off the cuff and, and uh, you know, heart to heart, um, not with a bunch of uh, fancy words or, uh, you know, logic, but, but really, you know, when hearts come together and we were able to, to share our experiences uh, in a way that is... is it doesn't feel inauthentic, right? And I think that's, I think the Christendom suffers from uh, an image of inauthenticity. That whatever we do, we have an agenda, right? Uh, maybe the, you know, the church's budget is, is low on donations. And so somehow we need to get more people to start coming so that those people can start giving and and, uh, and then we can shore up our bank account kind of thing. And I know that's, that sounds very cynical, uh, and it, I know that that's not always the case, um, but it seems to work out that way more often than not if you really, you know, talk to the people behind these uh, quote-unquote evangelical pushes, right? You know, evangelical is the wrong word. <laughs> Evangelism, right? Evangelism and evangelical are two different things. Um, you know, trying to get people to come to your church. And so what I found is that actually um, touching people heart to heart, you know, with, without the, the, the aid of a textbook or a script uh, or a, a formula uh, is generally the best way. And so I wanted to explore that idea. Um, because I have this commute anyway, and uh, you know it, it makes good use of at least uh, one of the trips. And usually when I come back, I listen to a podcast quite often. Um, so I record one going and listen to one coming back. Yeah, so here we are at the uh, change of the seasons. It's getting hot. Our school, uh, I, I have an English school, if you didn't know. Uh, is about to change locations um, starting in two days actually uh, we, we get the okay to move into our new locations we'll be moving and uh, we got summer programs that are being planned for the kids I've got two days of rafting this week tomorrow I've got to come up back up this direction to do a, a day of rafting raft guiding and 
uh, my friend Cam will join me tomorrow. Maybe I'll have him do a podcast with me on the way. I don't know. We'll see. He's a wild and crazy guy. <laughs> uh, and another day of rafting on Sunday. So it's going to be very, very busy. Anyway, um, man, what's been going on? The Olympics are about to start up. You know, there's another institution that probably, uh, when it was founded, was was founded on, you know, ideals of um, diversity and the the beauty of sport uh, and the, uh, the human uh, endeavoring spirit kind of thing, right? Uh, the, to push, to push yourselves, to push our, ourselves faster and higher and farther. Um, but today, it just seems to be dominated by money. Money seems to be what they talk about in the Olympics more than almost anything else, including the athletes themselves. And so, it's become this huge, corrupt uh, kind of organization. As all organizations become, I'm not trying to be. Uh, hard on the Olympics or the IOC, but that's just the way that human institutions go. That's just how that's how they work, you know. Um, so my, you know, hats off to them if they can have a good Olympics here in Tokyo this summer. Uh, but there are a lot of problems with it, uh, especially because of the pandemic. Still haven't got my shots yet, by the way, or even. Uh, I may have some shots scheduled. I have a, I have a chance. I, I've applied, but I haven't gotten the okay yet. So I don't know if that's going to happen. It might happen by the end of, the end of August. Um, we'll see. So we are still very much uh, here in Japan in the middle of the pandemic. There, you know, there are some, uh, some some number of people that are being and have been vaccinated, but. Japan's been very slow with all this, and it's really weird because you would think they would have tried to do things faster because of the Olympics coming on, but uh, that's not the case, unfortunately. Uh, but yeah, all institutions seem to, over time, uh, go away from their original goals and principles uh, and gravitate toward all of the temptations that we've ever faced, which is, you know, fame, power, and money, right? Fame, power, and money. Um, and that seems to be the direction that the IOC has gone, just like the church has gone that direction, just like most governments go that direction. You know, there's so much promise in the beginning of these institutions, and it's so sad to see them go so far off track. And, you know, I keep coming back to this, and I've said this before. We need to, whenever we make a group or a committee or whatever, we need to always put in there the DNA from the beginning of renewal, of remembering, uh, we, we know by now the pitfalls, the directions that institutions go, right? The, 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 the temptations that all institutions eventually succumb to. We should be able to 
foresee all of those, right? Uh, and and put in safeguards um, that so that we can continually be renewed in the original principles and goals uh, and intentions of our institutions. Uh, in this way, we keep them fresh and vibrant and alive uh, and viable, right? Because at some point, the Olympic Committee, uh, God bless it, is, is just not going to be doing anything good, right? Um, for example, you know, sports. We have this, this saying, for the love of the game. Somebody came up with this slogan at some point that, you know, players should play because they love the game, not for the money or not for the fame or whatever. Uh, and that's, you know, that's all well and good. Um, but right now, there's so much bad happening when these huge sporting events happen. It doesn't matter whether it's the Super Bowl uh, the uh, you know NBA Finals or whatever uh, today, for example, is the uh, Major League Baseball um, All Star Game. Oh, seriously, what is going on? I'm sorry, I'm just gonna go around you. What are you doing, dude? You know, today is the uh, Major League Baseball All Star Game, and all of these big sporting events suddenly because I, I suppose a lot of wealthy people show up human trafficking goes crazy and they start trafficking gr girls and, and boys and women and whatever uh, during these times that these you know supposedly it's for the love of the game but people have found ways over time to exploit these uh, these games uh, and and, and organized crime comes in and just does crazy stuff. It's really nuts. Man, people are in the road today. So much. Gotta get to work, y'all. Yeah, so... If... The NBA, MLB, uh, football, NASCAR, uh, Olympics, whatever. If they don't again discover or or uncover this, the original intu in intentions of these institutions, uh, corruption is just going to be part of it, right? And maybe that's what's already happened that people have just resolved uh, you know there's nothing they can do about it they've given up it's too big right corruption is just everywhere and there's always somebody ready to take advantage of somebody else or, or an, any situation uh, in order to put money in their pockets to line their pockets um, and, and you know perhaps that is the case maybe there's not much we can do but that's why I also advocate for small grassroots groups, right? Especially churches. Um, because the fewer people you have involved uh, in the process, the, the, the better you are able to take care of those people, right? It's just, it's just simple math, you know? Uh, 
uh, if you've got a <clears throat> a capable leader, uh, a loving uh, person who who cares for and has some wisdom and is willing to to share his life with people, he can do that better with five or six than he can with uh, five thousand. Right? It's just it's just simple math. Even Jesus knew this. He had his his ministry to the masses, uh, which was mostly benevolence. Uh, but as far as as sharing life, you know, he did that with twelve or fifteen people, and that's you know that's the Son of Man. Um, what what makes us think we can do more? Uh, so, yeah, I. A lot of that is the machinery of religion. The machinery of religion that came about mostly since Constantine. It was, you know, it may have been going that direction, and maybe that's why Constantine was so successful uh, at pushing it the rest of the way. I don't know. Um, but as soon as, as soon as the church uh, became shackled to empire became basically married to the Roman Empire, uh, then suddenly it's an institution uh, of on a massive scale. And that's when things really went off the rails, you know. Uh, and still today, churches, we, you know, despite, despite us saying it's not how many people, it's not how many people in the pews, but how much of Christ is in your heart, or, you know, all these little platitudes that we say <clears throat> we still believe that a, a church with a bunch of people is more successful than a, a church with few people right we still we still can't get over that because that's the way that's the way the world works right the world works on numbers the world works on numbers the more people you have the better right the more money you have the better the more fame you have the better right <clears throat> Numbers, statistics, um, these are what excite the world, right? This is how the world measures success. Uh, and the church has completely uh, fallen into that trap, right? It has been completely ensnared by numbers. Uh, and this, this is a problem, right? It's a big problem. Same way that the you know the Olympic uh, the IOC chairman has has come to Japan and pretty much all he's talking about is budget. It's all he talks about. How much money we got, so we're okay. We don't have to worry about people not going to the uh, you know to the games actually because we have all the funding we need through sponsors and whatnot because everybody's going to be watching on TV, right? There's not going to be any fans at these events. Well, he's kind of missing the point, isn't he? You know, the, the point has never, wasn't supposed to ever be how much money we have, um, but enjoying the athlete, the, the spirit of the athlete, right? Um, that the West supposedly got from ancient Greece, and so they wanted to revive that spirit of athletics, a way to peacefully compete amongst countries, as opposed to, you know, war, which is the other way that countries tend to compete. Um, but 
I, I'm not sure the Olympics has um, quelled the thirst for blood in war. I'm not sure that's anything the Olympics could ever do anyway. I mean, I suppose, maybe, I, I guess if, you know, if you had an Olympian who, who met a lot of people from other countries and had a, an appreciation for them and a love for them, and then later he became, say, the uh, chancellor or, or, you know, president or premier or prime minister, whatever, of his country, or king even, uh, then perhaps he might be a, a more tolerant and respectful of people of other countries, maybe. Excuse me, I'm burping. Uh, you know, it's hard to say. It's, it's a very difficult thing to really uh, pinpoint how the, these things work. Um, but by and large, you know, countries are no different from the IOC, uh, which are no different from the church, are no different from sports, right? All of these big institutions follow numbers. They, they quest after numbers. And eventually that's what's going to ruin them, right? Everybody eventually will be ruined by such a quest. So, you know, what do we, what do we, what should we quest for instead, right? Um, what is the purpose of these organizations? And, you know, I don't have a problem saying that the church is an organization of some kind, right? That, that anytime, you know, four or five people get together and spend any significant amount of time, organization naturally develops, right? It's just something that we do. If we have a task before us, we will organize ourselves uh, in such a way that allows us to complete that task, right? It's just, it's just a fact of life. It's, it just is, right? Organization is. Uh, you know, so if, if people who love Jesus happen to be gathering together and suddenly there's a need that they all want to help uh, meet, then they're going to organize themselves in such a way uh, to get that done, right? That's just how it works. Um, the problem is when we appoint a person to be permanently in charge of this or that and then give them authority over other people to make decisions, right? As soon as this starts happening, uh, organization begins to lose its uh, kind of family feel and it goes into a business uh, kind of a feel, right? Uh, which is impersonal. In fact, <laughs> what what's what's the mantra the the mantra of the of of business it's not it's not personal it's just business right yeah i'm firing you but it's not cuz i don't like you it's just i got to save money and basically what that's saying is the numbers are more important than you are right that you are not as important uh, as these numbers and that's exactly what i've been saying right that institutions go bad because they pr pursue numbers over pursuing to take care of people see this is what can't happen guys this is ridiculous why do you just go around and traffic is just really wonky today all kinds of junk going on oh 
no idea why. I don't think any Olympians are coming up this far. Oh, yeah, so let's say you are a part of a big company or you are a part of a big church or any big organization. How can you remain a part of that uh, and and somehow um, somehow not become part of the corruption of it? Well, first of all, it's not easy to do, and I'm not one to, to talk of it. I mean, I tried for many years, but I kind of stepped out of organized religion. I no longer work for any big companies. In fact, the only... Well, I guess I work part-time for one big company. Well, it's a, it's a university. It's a it's not a big company, I guess, but it's a fairly big, big, what do they call it? Educational environment. Anyway, but I'm part-time. Uh, and I, I really cut ties with as many of those big institutions as I could. Um, but you know, let's say that let's say that you you're going to remain for whatever reason in one of these institutions. How do you you know how do you work inside of them without becoming part of the corruption? <clears throat> it's a good question because even small groups uh, can have corruption, right? So how do you avoid corruption? Hmm. Let's think about that. Um, you know, because any institution, uh, there's going to be, um, especially the bigger they are, there's going to be competition and jealousy, backbiting, backstabbing, resentment. Um, all of this stuff can happen in this season. This season, none of this is really illegal, right? This is just, these are just ways that we uh, feel like we have to be to uh, to either advance or even survive in such institutions, right? So, man, figuring out how how do you how do you how can you be in a corrupt institution without being part of the corruption? Well, I would say you you need to have a a foundational. Um, you need to be part of a foundationally healthy group of some kind, whether it's your family, uh, whether it's, um, you know, a group of Christians or a group of friends, be a, be a part of a group where you can practice uh, not being a part of corruption, where you can practice honesty and love uh, and truth uh, as much as possible. And I think if you can have a, a group that's foundational to your life like that, I think eventually that can spread to all the other institutions you're involved in. And I don't think it's realistic today to say that you can be um, separate from all these institutions. It, it, it would be really hard. For example, you know, the country you live in, it's going to be hard to legally um, not be a part of that institution. For example, you know, in America, if you pay taxes, you're also paying for the army, and the army kills people, sometimes innocent people, and so you're, you know, you're a part of that, in a sense, right? 
I think uh, I think that's a difficult thing to get out of. It's not that it's impossible, and maybe and maybe maybe you want to do it illegally. Maybe you want to protest and stop paying taxes and do some jail time to make your point. And that's that's a, that's a valid way to you know that's a very valid way to protest. <clears throat> um, takes a whole lot of courage. Um, I haven't even talked about the prison systems today. I guess that's part of the government's, but man, those things have become corrupt beyond recognition. The people that run those things are the ones that should be in it, I think. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, how do you remain corrupt? I, I think you have to have uh, a, a bite size, a serving size group uh, where you are practicing honesty and and sacrifice and love uh, and uh, all of the good things that Jesus told us about um, and then you know the other way I would say is to is to take that what what you learn from living that way in small groups uh, take that into into whatever institution you find that you need to be a part of <clears throat> Uh, and and try to be the same with everybody. It's it's going to be you know, for example, if you're a politician, I'm not sure you can get anywhere if you are 100% honest. But maybe you need to be honest anyway, right? Maybe you need to put ambition on the shelf and just try to do good and be good, right? <clears throat> and just have faith that that being good and doing good is going to be better in the long run uh, than your ambition, right? And the places your ambition takes you. That it may be better to be in a subordinate role and be honest than to be the leader and dishonest. <coughs> Sorry. Ever since I've started sleeping with the air conditioner, my throat's kind of funky wonky in the morning. Plus, I drink I need to shake this up. I drink some uh, protein. Protein has milk and milk tends to make me produce phlegm. Yeah, and the other the other thing I would say is that there are people in your institution more than likely who are not yet uh, you know who who have not yet bowed their knee to bail, so to speak, uh, who who are also um, trying their best. Who is also trying their best? trying his or her best to uh, not be um, stained by the corruption. Uh, and, and look for those people, you know, uh, no matter who they are. And, you know, do what you can to appreciate those people and connect with those people. And who knows, you know, maybe from the two of you, a, a movement sweeps through your institution to where 
uh, it begins to do good in the world uh, instead of evil. You know, I don't doubt that this is why in Genesis, Cain is considered the builder of the first cities, right? The most corrupt person uh, in the early part of the Bible, besides maybe the serpent in the garden himself, um, is the one who actually builds cities and brings people together in cities. Uh, because cities, uh, especially the big and most powerful cities, become synonymous with evil, right? Throughout uh Except for one city, and that's Jerusalem, I think. It's the only city I can think of that's considered to be a light on the hill, a, a, a good city, right? Uh, and of course, we know that in, in the time of Jesus, it wasn't, right? It was quite corrupt. Um, the temple was, you know, they, they had blood on their hands, so to speak, and they were trying to make a lot of money, again, chasing numbers. Man, this number chasing thing has kind of hit me today. It's kind of an epiphany that uh, institutions or groups, let's even not even say institutions, any groups, any groups that chase numbers, um, that want bigger and bigger numbers, right? Uh, that is the mark of corruption. Hmm. So if you're, let me see, if your church is wanting more members, if your church is wanting more money, if your church is wanting a build bigger building, if you are chasing these things, if you are ambitious for such things, maybe that's the word. Ambition's not always bad. Um, if you are ambitious for numbers, I would say you have, you have gone from a institution of light into an institution of darkness. It's kind of a drastic way to say it. I need to think about this. This is kind of a new, new, new thoughts that I'm thinking. I haven't thought these thoughts before quite this way. At least not that I remember. But we all chase numbers, right? I mean, you know, as a, <clears throat> as a worker, you, you, in, in small or big ways, determine your own value by how much you make. And we talk to people about how much we make, right? How new your car is, or how expensive your car is, or you know how much you paid for this or that, right? We we chase numbers and we, we use numbers to beat people over the head, right? To make ourselves look better. Um, I guess as kids, we kind of do it with, with our age, right? But the older we get, uh, that becomes kind of a deterrent, right? <laughs> if we're too old, maybe we're considered to be too old for, for different things, right? I don't know. It's kind of interesting, that one. But in general, I would say that I think, I think, I think I'm right about this. If you're, you are a member of an institution which is chasing numbers, that is a sign of the corruption. Um, now, there, 
could be ways in which chasing numbers could be positive. For example, uh, you know, we want to help 100% of our workers this year uh, have better family lives. Uh, we want to uh, we want to make sure that all of the people that work for our company are not under the poverty level, right? We want to make sure uh, that all of our workers have good health insurance. We want our workers to have a 100% healthy environment. Those kinds of numbers, and especially when they're 100%, th those are good numbers to, to pursue, right? And you know, as a business owner, I need to be thinking of that too talking to myself there but yeah numbers are are for sure kind of tyranny right when you are enslaved to numbers you are not in a good place well thank you guys I gotta get off to work so thank you for listening and uh, we'll talk to you later bye bye